You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man-to-man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into it. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening to this week's edition of the show, we thank you so much for being a part of the presentation. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes. Anywhere you get your podcasts, click that episode of the Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to get over to Horns 24-7. Horns247.com for the latest and greatest Longhorn team news, notes, and nuggets, and the best recruiting coverage in the Texas market is available at Horns247. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drive machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Terrific. And the third member of our team, Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that team ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. Appreciate it, as always. Guys, let's get right into it. I wanted to talk this week. I think we've done this before, but I wanted to talk this week about uh, expectations for Sark in year two. Like I said, I think we did this maybe right around the first of the year, but I think this is as good a time as any. Spring practice is over. You've got this lull between the end of spring ball and the start of the summer, which May 31st is when the newcomers will get to campus. Uh, we'll see if Jordan Addison is a part of that group. Not not a whole lot new to report there. He did take his visit to USC. Uh, it's funny how I said at the very end of last week's show, eh, there's nothing new to report, and then like a couple hours after we left the studio was when we found out that he was at Texas. So he makes the Texas visit, and he makes the USC visit. As we sit here right now and record this podcast, there is no scheduled visit to Alabama. May or may not happen, but there hasn't been one scheduled, and as of now there isn't one scheduled. So – Take that and do with that what you will. Um, so we'll see if Jordan Addison makes the Alabama visit or if it comes down to Texas and USC, whatever the case is. But if he's a part of that group of newcomers that enrolls May 31st, that's when Texas gets rolling with summer conditioning. Sark is on the uh, Texas Fight Tour, which wraps up Wednesday night in Houston. Rod Babers, your old stomping grounds uh, down in H-Town. H-Town. Um, I've been to a couple of these. I'll be at the Houston, at least the Houston Touchdown Club luncheon on Wednesday so just been following it, trying to get little bits and pieces of what Sark has had to say throughout this whole deal. And, you know, everybody's – Nuggets too. Yeah, I appreciate it's, that, right? Yeah, it's good stuff. Everybody's coming out with their uh, post-spring top 
uh, you know, top 25 polls. And uh, before you know it, those will actually be preseason top 25 polls. But I figured this was a good week to just talk about expectations. And I just want to throw some numbers at you guys before we really get granular with it. And from a historic perspective, just kind of look at what Sark is, in some cases, up against trying to make a big leap in the win total from going from five and seven to eight, nine, ten, whatever those of you listening to the show right now, whatever your win total is, Matt, Rod, whatever y'all's win total is, whatever my win total is, this is kind of what Sark is up against. So this is going to be a wonky sample because I'm looking at coaches hired before the 2020 season. And we know 2020 in college football, a lot of just about everybody was playing conference-only schedules or yeah. minimal games. And even even through that number, so there were 24 FBS head coaches hired in the offseason going into 2020. Okay. Of the 24 who were hired, you have one who did not coach in 2020, Ricky Rain at Old Dominion. They didn't have a season in 2020. You've also got four others who have already been fired. Jimmy Lake at Washington. Oh, man. Steve Adazio at Colorado State. Todd Graham at Hawaii. And Nick Rolovich at Washington State. Yeah. And you do a quick Google search on the circumstances with which those coaches were fired. It's all pretty controversial. I mean, not much football reason. State guy was a vaccine mandate stuff. Nick Rolovich got into it with players Mm -hmm. on the sideline. Todd Graham had like half of his roster, including his own son, enter the transfer portal (laughs) at Hawaii. Like it was wild. And Steve Adazio was some of the same same stuff. Crazy. So yeah, wow. so four coaches. When your own hired. son does that. I mean, that's yeah. that has to be a, a record. That's like an that. indictment right there. Yeah. So I believe I don't. I don't. Let me make sure that I'm I'm correct on that. But I'm no, pretty sure. I, I remember that story I now. It just I forgot right totally about, about it. I think you're right about that. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that does include his son. So wow. I, I thought I was right about that. But yeah, his son into the transfer portal. Um. So of the 19 coaches that remain, again, the coaches of the 24. Mm-hmm. The 19 that have coached two seasons at their respective schools and that haven't been fired yet. Um, seven of the 19, Rod. And again, 2020 was a wonky year. You know, yep. you're only playing 10 game schedules. But seven of the 19 were plus five or better from year one to year two in terms of win total. And when I run these down, it'll make sense. Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss was plus five. And, and again, just for some background on these coaches, right? Yep. So Lane Kiffin takes Ole Miss from five and five, and that was with a bowl win to ten and three. Ole Miss had hadn't had a winning season since 2015, and we know there is NCAA issues under Hugh Freeze. And Matt Luke was really the guy that, hey, we just need somebody that you know loves Ole Miss and can just come try to clean this up for a few years and make this a better job for the next guy. Yeah. Uh, Arkansas, no expectations when Sam Pittman took over in 2020. Arkansas, and again, Arkansas is one of those programs for me, and I think depending on what generation of college football you grew up in, like Arkansas and Nebraska are the two for me, you have a higher opinion. I really am Arkansas more so than Nebraska because Nebraska has a, pedig- a better pedigree. I'd say Arkansas and UCLA are the two for me that like I have a higher opinion of their football programs than historically like what their body of work says they are. Yeah, you probably would close. I don't know why UCLA, but Arkansas maybe because uh, Route sixty six just sticks yeah. in sticks maybe in my that's head. It. Yeah, and in the Cade McNown years where they they were basically a loss to Miami away in ninety eight at the end of the season from playing for a national championship. Could just be a, just a young like when you were just a, a yeah. kid, you just you just yeah. liked UCLA for whatever reason. Kids do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but UCLA and Arkansas are the two that like I have a very high opinion of what they are and what they should be. But you look at the body work like ooh, okay. But that's because they also. 
what you are, UCLA should be better. They should historically they should considering yeah. where they are. Yeah. Yeah. They should be a better football program. But Arkansas, Arkansas in the three years before Sam Pittman coached his first game, they were eight and twenty eight. Falling off a cliff under the last year under also Brett. should be a better football program. Yeah. When you're when you're that close to Louisiana and Texas, mm-hmm. you uh, when you're and, bordering those states, and you've got and, the SEC brand behind you. Yeah, ain't no reason for you to be. I've you always be stealing tons of talent. In my mind, like when I was young, like Tennessee was maybe above Arkansas, but like now, both of those schools seem like ones that have definitely dropped. But they're both SEC programs that have some type of history that are nowhere near what you think of that history. I, I would put Tennessee and Nebraska in the same group for me, which is you look at the pedigree, the body of work says, yeah, these are historic blue blood programs. They've just fallen off a cliff in the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah. That same time period. I mean, post Manning and, you know, Fulmer and it, it was like the whole 2000. I mean, honestly, at one point, Georgia was in that group, and they've just soared past everybody else because I sort of thought of Georgia that way as a younger kid. You know, in the 90s, they didn't have nearly the prestige, but you had known about, like, Herschel Walker, and they put in NFL players. And then I remember the hype once you had uh, – it was right around the, I guess, Noshaw Moreno and Stafford mm-hmm. and that group. Once they started yeah, to get right. that top-tier player again, like post-David Pollock, there was like a good five, six years where Georgia was just – ugly, disrespected football. Like, the SEC East was looked down upon, and that's when Florida sort of took their st- – their, gained their momentum and took over that East, and Georgia's taking it back. What What's also happened to Georgia is that the state of Georgia has overtaken mm-hmm. – like, it's overtaken California. Yeah, talent. As in terms of big three, the, Georgia, the state of Georgia produces yeah. more NFL players – um, than it, than California now than any other states except for honestly Texas and Florida. Yeah, because they have the That's rural it. and they have Atlanta. Yeah. And so Atlanta's I, like I, a and huge... I don't know if Kirby Smart just saw it coming or if it was just perfect timing, but. That was also a big part of it. And that's happened in the last, like, five or six years mm-hmm. when that's happened. Obviously, it's been, like, 10, 15 years in the making, but it happened, like, in the last five yeah. or six years. Yeah, they, Atlanta talent is yeah. out of this world. I'll get back on point here in a sec, but you realize under Mark Rick, to Matt's point about Georgia, just in the pretty much in the late 80s into the 90s, they were just kind of an afterthought. But you realize under Mark Rick, mm-hmm. in the span of seven years yeah. from 2002 to 2008, they had six seasons where they won 10-plus games. games. Yeah. 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 Remember, they kept calling him Mac Brown. Yeah. Everybody kept saying, basically, it was like, Mark, Mark Richardson is basically Mac Brown without the title. Yep. He's Mac Brown without the And he said he could recruit like gangbusters, and he was going to get you double-digit wins, and he was going to get enough signature wins where it used to be hard to fire him, but up against elite opponents, mm-hmm. those elite opponents like your Floridas and yep. all those, that's when he would underachieve at times. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing that and would happen with used to Tennessee. Call him Matt Brown. You know, and at the time when it was the Sims battle for Tennessee, and it's sort of you had Texas, Georgia, and Tennessee mm-hmm. sort of in the same grouping. And at the same time was when Nebraska was falling off. So those type of programs that were maybe seen as big programs within the past couple of decades all were try to, trying to get, you know, to that next level that, you know, Alabama and you saw Saban soar ahead of everybody, and I'd say Georgia's the only one that's been able to keep any consistency. Um, so, anyway, getting back to Arkansas, so I mentioned Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. They were plus five, uh, going from five and five to ten and three. Sam Pittman, three and seven, in a lot of ways, I thought he overachieved going three and seven because pretty much every game except the Alabama game, they were competitive. 
much more competitive than you thought they'd be playing a strictly SEC schedule. They go from three and seven to nine and four last year, finished twenty first in the country, and they win a bowl game. Think about that. The three seasons before Sam Pittman got there, and including his first season, so the four seasons before twenty twenty one, they won a combined eleven games and they won nine last season. Yeah. Yeah. So and, basically and, between that Bielema game when they And he was on the staff prior to right, he was already on he was on he was on that old staff, correct? Well, he was with Georgia. Let me look at Georgia Sam Pittman. Yeah, let me look at Sam Pittman's. Uh, I, I want to know. Yeah, because I want to say was something with Sam Pittman where the players were big fans of Sam Pittman. Yeah, he sense. was at Arkansas, twenty thirteen right? to twenty fifteen. So yes, I'm saying. Yeah. Like the, I remember that because there were there were articles written that the players were going to like they were going to administration saying, "No, nah, man, Sam Pittman's the guy." Like they love Sam Pittman. Basically, like that's I think that was a big part of is that he already had the locker room. Yeah, that would have been uh, Brett. Right. He would have been there under Brett Bielema. Yeah, yeah, he left in 2015 from Arkansas to Georgia, and then came back in 2020. Okay, so I know. Okay, so I was saying like they they said see like a lot of players like were familiar with Sam Pittman yeah, yeah. or something like that. I was saying so I I don't I don't know exactly how it worked out, but I do when know, they were in high school and stuff like he yeah, was around the program. They, like, for, they said they were familiar with him in some ways, but either way, he's done a good job. If he didn't keep Barry Odom there, remember they were Kendall Browse and Barry Odom were both getting offers. He, and they both stayed there, and mm-hmm. everybody was kind of shocked they stayed there. And having Texas that, wanted Barry Odom. Yeah, I was going to say Sark, Sark was high on Barry Odom when yeah. he was looking for a D.C. And that, that would have been a smart move. Obviously. Having institutional knowledge of a place before you decide to go back there is really big, too. Like being, I know that there were coaches on Makovic's staff that then came over were big parts of Mac's staff. And just knowing how it works at the school and you know what would work there, that type of thing can definitely be beneficial. I think there's some jobs where – that that does help you for sure. And Arkansas um, could be one. Uh, okay, so there's Lane Kiffin, Sam Pittman, the other coach who was pl- other coaches who were plus five in win total from 2020 to 2021. But Jeff Trailer at UTSA. So UTSA had six mm-hmm. losing seasons in a row before they hired Jeff Trailer. Only one bowl berth in two years. He's taken them to two bowl games, but they go from seven and five in 2020 last year. They're 12 and two, and they won a conference championship. Lose in the Frisco Bowl. To San Diego State, mm. which Brady Hoke, uh, Rocky Long resigns, goes and takes an assistant coach job in New Mexico State. Brady Hoke was an assistant on that staff, takes the job where he had been the head coach previously. They go four and four in twenty twenty. Last year, San Diego State's twelve and two. They beat UTSA in their bowl game and finished in the top twenty five. Wow! So Brady Hoke was plus eight. Uh, go plus six. A guy that I really really like, Kalen DeBoer at Fresno State. Jeff Tedford res- retires due to health reasons. The Bower gets hired. They go three and three in 2020. The Bower goes nine and three in 2021. He didn't coach the bowl game. He'd already left to take the head coaching job at Washington. But Fresno State under Kalen DeBower was plus six. And then obviously the two that stand out, other than Arkansas, Mel Tucker and Michigan State, they go two and five in 2020, playing a Big Ten schedule. Remember, load up in the transfer portal last season. They go 11 and two, beat Pitt in the Peach Bowl, finished ninth in the country, and then. Right down the road from us, Dave Aranda at Baylor from two and seven in twenty twenty to twelve and two in twenty twenty one, win the Big Twelve, win the Sugar Bowl, and finish fifth in the AP poll, Baylor's highest finish in the AP poll in school history. So they were plus ten. Dave Aranda was going from year one to year two in terms of win total. Mm-hmm. So that's just looking at it. It, it can be done. You you can have both with, sides of I thirty five. You had in Baylor and in San Antonio. And and it's 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 really interesting, guys, when you look at it, like all, all these guys did it kind of in different ways. If you look at Dave Aranda, 
he really benefit like it, it, it. If you look at the trajectory, and again, it remains to be seen where Dave Aranda is going. But I think the three of us are all kind of Dave Aranda fans. We, we like what we've heard from Dave Aranda and just his football mind. But a lot of his was man, twenty twenty for him was almost a mulligan, right? Like you kind of got a freebie year almost to mm-hmm. figure out. Okay, Larry Fedora is my offensive coordinator. Isn't going to work. I need to go get Jeff Grimes. And you got a lot of guys to take advantage. And I think this kind of speaks to who Dave Aranda is. Even in a two-win season, you got a lot of guys to come back, use their COVID year of eligibility. You had one of the most experienced teams in the Big Twelve. And we were at this time last year. We we're talking about, hey, at least I was. And Baylor's kind of a wild card. Like, I don't know how much they're going to improve, but I know they've got experience. And you looked at their roster, mm-hmm. like they've got guys that have played a lot of football and played at a high level. Like it, it can click to what extent we don't know, and we didn't know. And it turns out they were good enough to win the Big Twelve last year. Um, so Dave Aranda did it that way. Mel Tucker loaded up in the transfer portal. Uh, Arkansas and Sam Pittman, it was more traditional. Hey, you know, you've got guys that you leaned on that that were guys that you salvaged some of that roster mm-hmm. from Chad Morris, but you know, you're also playing some guys that you recruited. It's it's a pretty young team. Arkansas was so basically, there's no right way to build a roster that can turn it around quickly. Or that was excuse me. I'm sorry. There's no wrong way to build a competitive roster that can turn around quickly. I misspoke there. Mm. You can do it. You can yeah, do it. You, in, can, do it you can do it ways. in multiple ways. You can do it. In, no, I'm with you. And I think and now it's you can argue it's easier now to do than ever before yeah, because of the transfer portal. You got multi. Yeah. You have different ways to acquire talent now because of the transfer portal and guys being able to play right away. Yep. Um, and I think you know obviously the Michigan State example is a big part of that. And I'm with you. I think another way that you can kind of expedite. That is, you know, you you can have an elite trait, right? An elite phase, um, and I bet if we go look at all those groups, I know Arkansas's defense was just, you know, I know the Kendall Browns, I like the offense, but the defense to me uh-huh. was one of the better defenses in the country. I don't know where they finished, um, but I think that's also something that helps you that you can hang your hat on. And I wonder if you go back and look, and obviously Dave Aranda's defense was also one of the better defenses up there in the country too. Lane Kiffin was a tempo offense. Yeah, I think yeah, you got to have to me you got to have something that you you're, it almost kind of it, it really facilitates your building of an identity of what you're going to be and it mm-hmm. got to starts with an elite phase and I think for Texas that's going to be offense goes back to what we've said about Sark that you know, Sark last year made the mistake of trying to play too much complimentary football. Yes, that is ultimately the goal. But right now, your your roster is not you know is not filled out enough. It's, it doesn't have enough talent, enough, enough depth um, to to be able to play complimentary football right now. Most of your talent, the the, the majority of it is on the offensive side of the ball. You're talking about elite mm-hmm. top five guys at their position yeah. in all of college football. That's what you need to lean on. Almost like you funnel usage constantly to your best players. Now you need to essentially build your blueprint to be lopsided in favor of, you know, essentially making sure the advantage of your offense is the reason and why you win games. Yeah. yeah. Like you put yourself build. in that position all the time, but the offense can go win you games. Mm-hmm. You want to yeah. maximize your strength and then yeah. if your expertise, because if, like, say, you would have been, you know, a little bit more self-aware about the idea, hey, the complimentary football isn't 
that much for us this season, but we still have those top-end guys on offense to offenses, my strength, my expertise. You want to fill that cup all the way full and get everything that you can if you have that potential and then be able to do what you need to do to survive on the other side. And just every year when you're making a roster, that's a good way to look at it is actually a self-appraisal of your strengths and then leaning into them and making sure that you're maximizing where you are strong. Yeah, but not saying you obviously all three phases you want to have yes. enough balance with all three phases, but you look at a team like Baylor, right? Baylor had much more talent. Understood. Um, but the Barry Baylor played football. Their their special teams was great about stealing and winning field position for them. Um, I mean, that stat they had right around the time they played Texas was like mind-blowing. I think they had like one – it was something freaky about uh, opposing teams starting uh, in on their side of the field. Oh, in their yeah, territory. yeah, yeah. I believe they had only allowed one – like one drive. To start on their there, territory. Yeah. By the way, uh, at that time they played Texas, it was a freaky stat that I, I can go back in my and phone. No, territory. you're right. Yeah, and it I, was. I, I freaky, think it was. Man. I, I want to say it was like a Gary oh, Bohannon turnover in the Oklahoma State game, it and it was something. If I remember right, I, I, I exactly. I remember exactly stat? what you're talking about. It right? was a freaky stat, and, and if I remember right, that possession, it was like at the end of the game. Yeah, it was something crazy. Yeah, I was like, I, I, I'll, I'll go back and find it because I know it's in here somewhere because I know I wouldn't have thrown. Like that it didn't really significantly impact the outcome of the game if I if I rem- if I'm remembering right. Yeah, but it's my, my point is like that they, they were that's complimentary football. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that it did. That's you know he evaluated that roster and figured out we can play complimentary football, especially with the RVO offense yeah. that Jeff Grimes was bringing in his reliable, violent offense that he calls it. But I I think for Sark evaluating his offense. And, and evaluating his roster, it's a little bit different because his defense. I, I don't, I don't know where Baylor in terms of that was it a two win season, uh, the COVID season. I don't know where their defense was ranking, their offense was ranking, all that. Um, but man, Texas's defense was historically bad in my opinion. And I think looking forward to special team and just them recovering, and then looking forward to special teams. Special teams is probably going to have some growing pains this year because you lost a lot of significant pieces. Mm-hmm. So if I'm Sark. I wouldn't go into this season with the mindset of playing complimentary football. I'd go into the mindset of, hey, man, our offense is going to have to win us games, and that's why I got to be a riverboat gambler, and I got to maximize that advantage constantly. Yeah, I, I think to even simplify that, Rod, I just like your point of you look at all those coaches that I just mentioned. Can Sark, it, it just boils down to can Sark properly, correctly identify what the identity of this team and this program needs to be right now to turn it around quick. Because you can you can always evolve. Look, I, I, I hope, assuming Sark gets on an upward trajectory, all right, I, I'm hoping we're not sitting here two, three years down the road still talking about talent deficiencies on defense, right? If you're, if you're yeah, recruiting, if you're recruiting the way you should and developing the way you should be developing, it should take a couple recruiting cycles before that thing works itself out. If we are talking about it, then we're probably talking about somebody else being the head coach, quite frankly. Mm, um, good point. So I, it's not going to be – you can always evolve, but I think, again, taking stock of what you need to be right now, that identity you need right now, to piggyback on our conversation last week, I think it's 100% about going all in with offense. And, and like, you look at these other coaches, and you, you can watch – if you go back and watch any of those teams last year, like we just said, you watch Baylor – you watch Ole Miss or Michigan State or Arkansas, you could watch those teams and, and know, okay, I know what their style of football is. Right? Like they had a clear, defined identity for what, what they were, the kind of style they wanted to play. 
And last year, like you said, Texas was just kind of lost in that they wanted to play some complimentary football, but they really couldn't. But at times, the offense was really explosive. Then at times, you, you kind of took the air out of the ball. It's just can you just find that identity that can allow you to elevate your win ceiling this year? And I think, I mean, I think we're all in agreement that until you figure out what you've got on special teams, it just needs to be literally an all-gas, no-breaks approach on offense. Yeah. I mean, it, that goes back to the, the Ray Horton quote, right? Life and football, constant struggles, deciding between what you want to be and what you need to be in order to survive. And right now, what you have to be what you need to be. And later on, hopefully, after you've you know kind of rebuilt the roster, infused new talent, 40% of the, the roster turned over, you can be a more balanced team, play complimentary football, and then that is your ultimate goal. But right now, you know what? Right now, you know where your advantage is, and mm-hmm. it's on offense. Yeah. That's where your elite personnel is. I want to mention this too, in terms of a historic perspective. Just kind of, I looked at the. That's kind of the upside. What Sark can do, like we've seen the turnarounds, but just from a historic perspective, the start of Sark's tenure, kind of what he's up against and the trends he's trying to buck. And again, I think we talked about this right around the first of the year, or maybe late last year, but I wanted to re-rack this again because I think it's relevant. So Steve Sarkeesian is the 11th head coach Texas has hired in the AP poll era. It's funny, like Craig Wayne and I were talking about this today uh, on Light the Tower when I brought these numbers up. And Craig's like, so you're not counting like Dave Allardyce or coaches from like the you know, the 19-teens or whatever? And I'm like, two <laughs> things. One, yeah, the AP poll started running in, in consecutively in 1936. That's when the AP poll really started running. I think that was the first year the AP crowned a national champion. Um, might not have been, but I know that's when the poll started running consistently. Um, Jack Chevney was the head coach in 1936. The following year, Dana Bible was the head coach. Okay. And I asked Craig, I was like, so that, the AP poll era is kind of a good line of demarcation. I'm like, plus, if like if you were if you were coaching football at Texas before Hitler came to prominence, I don't think that should count. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? It's a long time ago. Yeah. I'll tell you though. I think yeah. you could the say pre-mod, the pre-modern era. Uh, yeah, in even that you could go going all the way back to the beginning of DKR in '56. It's a pretty good timestamp. By the way, here's something on Dave Allardyce that Craig reminded me of. I thought this was wild. Oh, the coach who resigned. Yeah. So That's Dave Allardyce. I'll just read this straight from his Wikipedia page. Yeah, it's funny. At t- age 25, Allardyce is still the youngest head coach in Texas football history. <laughs> His Longhorns finished 5-2 in 1911, 7-1 in both 1912 and 1913, and went unbeaten at 8-0 in 1914. In the inaugural Southwest Conference season in 1915, Texas finished 6-3 with losses to Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and Notre Dame. At season's end, despite a career record of 33-7 with the Longhorns, Allardyce informed the Athletic Council of his resignation because of the, quote, Super critical nature of the Texas fans. Fan <laughs> Folks, this was before the Depression yep. when Longhorn fans were angry about the on-field product. So That's what happens when you lose to Oklahoma, A&M, and Notre Dame. Yeah. No, I, uh, that, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that story is great. I mean, they bring up that – I think they brought that story up when Tom Harmon was fired again. It's like that's, that's Longhorn fans always has been. So yeah, just man. accept it. hundred years ago. Yeah, that, exactly. It's all, it always will be. It always has been. That's the job. Deal with it. I would like to find yeah. Allardyce's like grandkids and ask if he's told stories of those days. I mean, the quote well, says it all. I don't think <laughs> I don't, the quote says I it don't all. think you will, Matt, because Dave Allardyce died in a fire on January fifth, nineteen forty one. So man. I don't think he's uh No no stories to be told. Yeah, I don't think there's been many stories to be told. Some there. kids though. Right? You never had any um, kids? Um well sure you had some kids. 
Again, the all, the all reliable source that is Wikipedia. A fire broke out at Allardyce's home uh, in Indianapolis. Allardyce's wife and youngest son died from fire no! suffo- died from the fire suffocation. Allardyce and his eldest son suffered severe burns. Allardyce was taken to Methodist Hospital where he died January tenth. It does not say Did if his son lived. Son survived. Wow, that is tragic. Yeah, wow. man. So anyway, uh, wow. Yeah. Longhorn history. If anybody from the Allardyce family gets wind of this, uh, you know, we that is yeah, that is true. I did not know. Don't that. know if Dave Allardyce Jr. survived. Man. It doesn't say that on Wikipedia. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to segue, but I'll do my best. Ask Big Bill Little. You text him and ask him. Again. You know that Bill Little's the only reason I know Jack Shevney was a head coach, head football coach at Texas. He's, uh, and Little you know, and you know why I know that because I remember when Texas played Notre Dame in '96. I remember. Bill Little had a Longhorn legend. His halftime report mm-hmm. was on Jack Cheveny. Um, oh, nice! That's the only only reason. The only reason I, I like remember that. that. Um, anyway, so anyway, Sark <laughs> is the ele- Sark is the eleventh head coach <laughs> Texas has hired in the AP poll era. Um, he is the fourth. He's only the fourth to fail to improve the win total from his predecessors last season. Ain't a Bible taken over for Jack Cheveny in 1937. Cheveny won two games in 36. Bible matched that with two wins in 37. So it didn't improve it, but he equaled it. Uh, going from Ed Price to Blair Cherry. Uh, Blair Cherry won nine games in his last season in 1950. Ed Price only won seven in his first season in 1951. Wow. You've got Charlie Strong. Mac Brown won eight games in 2013. Charlie Strong won six in 2014. And then you've got Sark. Tom Herman won, won seven in 2020, and Sark with five wins last season. Now, the other trends, so Sark goes into the unsavory trend of you didn't improve the win total. You were hired to take the program to a different place. Didn't improve the win total in year one. Sark is is looking to join this group of Texas head coaches that improved the win total from their first year to their second year. And I'll say again, Mack Brown in 1998 won nine games. And Rod Babers, your freshman year, 1999, Texas won, won nine games. Mm-hmm. Mack didn't improve it, but he equaled it. He equaled it. Uh, Sark is looking to become the fourth head coach to improve the win total from year one to year two. Only three other Texas head coaches have done it. Ed Price goes from seven wins in 1951 to nine in 1952. Coach Royal goes from six wins in 1957 to seven in 1958. And then Tom Herman goes from seven wins in 2017 to ten wins in 2018. Obviously, if you're Sark, you would like the short-term success of any of those gentlemen I mentioned. You would obviously want the long-term success of Coach Royal and not that of Ed Price or Tom Herman. Ed Price's last season at Texas was the 1-9 season in 1956. Pretty much anything bad that happens at Texas that you can say happened since 1956, it all goes back to that 1-9 season under Ed Price. Mm, Interesting. I would like to know... um, the quarterback situations for all those schools mm-hmm. from year from that from that year one to year two, if they change quarterbacks, because usually somebody's got to pay the price for those bad seasons. Mm-hmm. Quarterback often has to pay the price, even here in Texas, happens. So when you struggle, quarterbacks usually change, or they look for quarterback upgrades. And I bet that is something interesting to track. I bet there was a lot of quarterback volatility, and I wonder how many in that second season when they did get the improvement. Upgraded at quarterback. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'd have to go back and really check that out. You, know, you talk about like head coach behind head coach. There's nothing Mac. more important to a football program than quarterback. Sometimes quarterback can be more important than the head coach. 
So that's something I saw I would be interested to find out because there's a common denominator between the programs. I mean, it was neutral for Mac. You know, he still had major and then added Sims, and then you had— What uh, I'm talking about, all of them, period. I'm talking about all over the country, just just from the year one to year two, present ones, all of it, period. Oh, so are you talking about those— I'm talking about quarterbacks, period, and the the year one to year two leap behind head coach, nothing more significant than quarterback. Mm-hmm. That's why I think that should be something to look at. Yeah. At so, so you just you, what, you, the, what was the quarterback situation? So okay. So you just want to go back to like the Lane Kiffin, Mel Tucker, all of it for Texas and all for okay. the, all those. I well, think, and for all of them, the quarterback situation I think would probably be the second most important data point behind the head coach and his scheme and his whatever. He yeah. What's returning? Yeah. Yeah. I would have to go break that down. I know. Right, so I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm saying that's something to consider because we're talking about it. But honestly, we're missing probably the most important data point. Which is what was the quarterback? Who was the quarterback? And did they upgrade the quarterback? And I think mm-hmm. let's just look. Well, let's just look at Texas real quick. And the, the most recent example we've got of year one to year two improvement is Tom Herman. You basically just you, you basically settled in at quarterback with Sam Miller. Like yeah, mm-hmm. you know you went through the growing pains of him as a freshman, and then probably. Well, you had your boot Shelly in there. Yeah, you had that that handoff essentially, and then take whatever and game you want. In, Take whatever game you want for Sam. Like, to me— And then you still—honestly, you don't make it to the Big 12 title game in 2018 without Butcher. Right. But, <laughs> he but, started through games. But when you, look at, games. When, you, when you look at Sam, like, go look at Sam's sophomore year. Like, he wasn't good in the Maryland game. He had the turnovers late, which was kind of a mm-hmm. uh, an extension of what he was as a freshman. But I, I really think, like, if you look at Sam in 18, go back to the second half of the Tulsa game. Like, I know that sounds weird. But go back and pull some highlights of the second I half of the Tulsa game. Like there were some drives where oh, I they that. were doing some tempo stuff, and it's like, man, yeah. Sam Ellinger looks good. And then the USC game is the next week, and then the TCU game, and then by the Oklahoma game, he had kind of I think found a rhythm. And we all know that Oklahoma defense was terrible anyway, and yeah. Texas just gutted them that day. But yeah, I think you're on. No, you're right, Rod. I mean, I think when you go back and look at all these situations, you'll probably find that either somebody came in and resolved the quarterback issues, like you got a transfer or something, or, well, I think it could be a couple things. I think, one, you could have, like I said, a newcomer come in and establish themselves at that position. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, in the case of, I think, like, Elaine Kiffin at Ole Miss, I think it's more, or and I think even to, to an extent like a Jeff Trailer at UTSA, whether it's Matt Corral or Frank Harris, I think maybe you, you, you had a guy, but you really, with a full offseason, you really found something yeah. with a guy you already had, and he just kind of came into his own and developed. Yeah. yeah, Or I think in the case of, you know, the two that stand out to me, like, I mean, when you look at Arkansas last year, like, would you ever say K.J. Jefferson went and won them a game last year? No. I saw his growth, but, uh, yeah, hard for me to say. Same thing that, with that's G- not how they won games. Yeah. No. They, they were t- not trying to win games like that. Right. Same and thing with Baylor, with, with Baylor, Gary yeah. Bohannon. They, they, like it's like Oklahoma State and Spencer Sanders. They dialed him down. Yeah. All right? And then they decided to win games with defense and field position. He reminds me like of literally whenever that tra- – yeah. yeah, the 2014 year with Tyrone Swoops under yeah. Strong whenever you're talking about Which, yeah. What you're talking about an identity, Rod, that's what complementary football worked for Baylor. Like you had the pieces on defense to, to play mm-hmm. that way. You had the special teams to play that way. And you needed to you needed an offensive scheme, an offensive style that protected your quarterback. And it did. Yeah. Oklahoma State and Baylor basically almost mirror images of each yeah. other at one point. And that's where it's going to be different for Sark because, like, if this all aligns the way that you want it to align, then we're going to be seeing fireworks everywhere and going to be seeing an offense that's stretching the field and as explosive as any other in the nation. But if it doesn't go the way that you expect, 
it's going to be really bad because the expectations when it's for um, offense in the modern era of offenses with the skills set player and the guys that you have at not only at wide receiver but at running back, like if it is good, it's going to be really good. It's going to be as explosive as anything out there, and you're going to be happy. And it's going to be – if it's not that, there are going to be a lot of upset fans. I agree. Um, I want to talk about Jordan Addison real quick just in terms of what – he would mean to Texas if Texas were to get him. And I don't – you know, I think this is this opinion has died down. But I I don't – I haven't and don't buy into the theory that, well, you know, you've already got a lot of mouths to feed on offense. It would be great to have Jordan Addison. But is it overkill? No. <laughs> That's stupid. Do you want to <laughs> – Who said that? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, who is that? Seriously, who said that? Stupid. There's enough opinion of that on social media, oh Rod. That, yeah. Dang. Yeah. I'm no, sorry. You want I, as many I wasn't good trying players. to insult anybody, but no. that's, come on, guys. That's stupid. That's, no, you want as many good on, players. It's talking simple. about Ohio State and Alabama. We had four first round wide receivers in there. We're like, what are you guys talking about? Well, I mean, why, look at Sark. Look at our coach. And the last time that's he so was extremely <laughs> successful <laughs> was when there were four first rounders. And they all ate, and one of them won the Heisman. That, that LS, I, I go back to that LSU offense yes, in 2019. There, one football exactly. was enough for Jamar. Chase and Justin Jefferson and Thaddeus Moss, Terrace Marshall, Clyde Edwards Alaire. Yeah. Yeah. One one football was enough to go around. Yeah, that's crazy. So (laughs) I don't I don't buy into it from that standpoint. Yeah. But where Jordan Addison, to me, he's not a luxury. He's a need. Because when I look at this receiving core, obviously you know what you've got with Xavier Worthy. Mm Mm-hmm. And you feel like you know what you've got with Isaiah Nair, even though he's got the thumb injury, but he's expected to be good to go by the time summer workouts start at the end of the month. And you know what you've got with Jordan Whittington. I was going to say, you better. If healthy. But after those guys, you've got Jaden Alexis as a retro freshman coming off of an ACL. Mm-hmm. You've got Troy O'Meary coming off of two ACLs. You've got a Jai Hall coming in from Alabama as a transfer, who caught four balls last year. Then you've got Casey Kane, who redshirted last year. Yep. Brennan Thompson, even though he's one of the fastest 2022 recruits in the country, he's still going to be a true freshman. I know. He's and, and, and Savion Red is a guy that I like a lot, but he's a true freshman. Of those six guys, they've combined to catch four passes in college, <laughs> and those are the four that Ajay Hall caught last year at Alabama. Yeah. So after your top group, there is – pretty much no proven production outside of what you saw from a very limited sample from a Jai Hall last season. Oh, and by the way, that other factor I mentioned with Jordan Whittington in the injury situation, fair or not, he's yet to make it through a full college season healthy. Yeah. And you can't, if you're Sark, yes, it's, hey, I want to make this offense as powerful as possible, but Rod, you can't leave anything to chance. And, and we've seen Texas coaches do this too many times. We saw Mac, Charlie, Tom Herman, they all did it. You can't leave things to chance to where if something happens to one of your top three receivers, you get into a situation you say, oh, crap, our offense is about to take a huge step back. You can't afford to have that happen no. this yeah. year. I agree. Yeah, you can, you, need, you need contingency plans on top of contingency plans. That's so why to me, Jordan Addison's not a luxury. Uh, well, a, to yeah. me, he's a necessity. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great that you have a giant hall coming in, but like you said, that's an unproven commodity. Uh, all the freshmen coming in, they look awesome, but they're unproven commodities. Jordan Whittington, I love him too, but can't stay healthy. And, you know, right now, X-Man, I, and I love X-Man too. He's fantastic. 
Uh, but last year you overworked him, and you saw what happened when you started overworking him late in the year. Kept getting up, mm-hmm. hobbling, and he—I mean, it's just the reality yeah. of it. I mean, you were just o- overworking a thoroughbred out there. It's just the reality of it. And he's got to yeah. practice too. And Sark even brought that up. He said the way out because the way he works his receivers, he has what he calls his run to daylight philosophy. Not a lot of stop routes. All right, <clears> these guys <throat> are running long, developing rainbow crossers, cr- you know, drag routes, crossing routes across the field. Um, and he wants speed. The reason he recruits speed. It Ain't is, a lot of comebacks when they do routes on air. Yeah, right. He, he, he recruits speed. That is the, the jet fuel to his uh, football engine, if you will. Mm-hmm. All right. So if that's the case, then he wants these guys running, sprinting. All right. And if that's the case, they wear out a little bit quicker. So yeah. you need to have the the roster uh, stocked with a lot of speed, and that's what he's trying to do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the truth is, you. I'm with you. I think you need, if you don't get Jordan Addison, it'd be nice to get another receiver in there. And he's talked about how that was a depth issue. You had that at Horns 24-7, him saying, no, that's, like he said, linebacker and wide receiver. Linebacker and wide receiver, the two so positions depth you mentioned. concerns yeah. for him. I told, and that, I think all the reasons you just listed, oh, why? Yeah, and that's a great point right there is the mileage within a player because you sort of just think about, oh, well, mm-hmm. targets, receptions, and that's all you view. But on every play, the amount of energy that's exerted by certain offenses. Exactly. And, like, you can literally look at the template. NFL does great next-gen stats that are readily oh, available to every player. Yeah. And, yeah, and the same thing like Steph Curry for basketball just because I know mm-hmm. the numbers off the top of my head. The amount of mileage, he'll sometimes run multiple miles more than other players on the court the same amount as him on his team Without because the he's doing so yeah. much more. And the same thing with these receivers, especially if you're a vertical threat or if you're an offense that asks for three players to be vertical threats, and it's where fans will get upset at times on snap counts, and it's like, why aren't, isn't my best player on the field? And if you look at wide receivers, I would say a high usage, high snap count. If you're out there for 75% of your snaps, that's a ton. But when you start doing the math on that, if each player is maximizing those 75 that actually yep. gives you an initial another 75%. So your backup receiver that isn't listed as a starter can get as many snaps as those other guys that are technically starters. And that's where that positional flexibility that mm-hmm. we always talk about and having guys that can back up each yep. position, unlike your Jake Smith to Devin Duvernay scenario that we would always talk about and know that, well, you know, he's only going to get those snaps that he's not out there. And when you basically have those guys that negatively correlate that don't share the field together, then you can't f- maximize your offense in this scenario with a guy like Addison. And you know that a guy like Whittington can play multiple positions. We saw X-Men already play multiple positions. If you have four elite receivers in Sark's mind, that's perfect because at all times I can have three guys out there. Each of them gets 75% of snaps. Each one's getting a blow on a four-play basis yep. and be able to still have no drop-off in your amount of talent. Or when a player gets injured, you then maybe can have to start, you know, find a game or two where X-Man's going to have to have the role he had last year where he doesn't leave the field. It may wear you down a little bit, but you have enough people to not only survive an injury – but then you can actually keep everybody with their same workload and still be able to maximize them on the field. Good point. Matt, while I'm running these numbers down, can you do me a favor? Um, will you go to PFF and just look at the snap totals for the Texas wide receivers last season? Yeah, let me see. Um, well, and I, I'll give you – I'll do a filibuster while you're looking for that. But I think this goes back to Sark wants as many proven commodities. Rod, I love we use that term because, you know, he wants – we talk about – the. 
there are not that many targets. If you're not in that top group of four or five receivers for Sark, oh, yeah, you, there's not a ton of targets available. SOL, and I, like I went back and looked at it, and like it's funny, it's funny. Tom Herman's offense when they spread the wealth, it was less effective than when they funneled usage to their best players. Imagine uh, that. I was say, uh, like yeah, the the, tw- the 2018 offense we talk about. Uh, Texas had two guys that had over 100 targets that season. A little Jordan Humphrey with 120, Colin Johnson with 103, and then you go from that to next is Devin Duvernay with 65, and then Gerard Hurd with 25. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you weren't in that top group, and then I think we, Gerard Hurd wasn't a featured piece of that offense. Basically, if you weren't in that top three, you, you'd be lucky to get, what was that average, two, two, three, maybe two targets a game? Something like that. Um, so, yeah, not a lot. Then – you go from that to, and I'm I'm using Pro Football Focus for all this data on my targets. Uh, 2019, uh, you had seven Longhorns who had 20 targets or more. Five of them were wide receivers. You go to 2020 again, seven players on offense with 20 plus targets. Six of them were wide receivers. Yep. And then you go to Sark's season. Six Longhorns had 20 plus targets last year. Only four of them were wide receivers. You had Xavier Worthy with 103. And then the gap. You talk about a, a pretty wide gap from from exit one hundred three to Joshua Moore at forty five to Jordan Whittington at thirty six to Marcus Washington at thirty and the next closest I think was Kelvante Dixon was sixteen. Yeah. So if you're in that top group, you're going to get used. But Sark needs proven commodities in that top group, so you're not. So Xavier Worthy doesn't get to game ten or eleven where he feels like his legs are spaghetti noodles at that point. Uh, and I and I'll, I'll add to that. I do think because um, Sark does a great job of scheming up players. We saw when X Man was the only receiver, but game breaking receiver he had left, and how he got the ball to him. Does a great job of scheming guys open. Um, but also, you got to consider when you do have your progression reads in a Sark offense, and you're not just RPO. I think a lot of his play action passes are too. I think they're directly targeting a certain receiver mm-hmm. in the passing game. But when you do your progression reads, like we know on third down, Casey just liked J- Jay Witt. Like he did. He was looking yeah. for Jay Witt on mm-hmm. third down. Um, so you do have that that also plays a factor in it too, and I think it's just quarterback wide receiver chemistry. Yeah. yeah. You got you have those snap totals, Matt? I'm pulling them up. I had to go okay. through some identified mini chimneys, and I hadn't been logged in as long. Yeah. So well, no, no, I was, you know, speaking of wide receiver chemistry, though, it's, it's crazy that now – you know, this is one of those things that in football and football theory you talk about all the time. But now the NFL is actually starting to, in a quantifiable way, trying to measure quarterback wide receiver chemistry. And now they actually are using that as a data point in talent acquisition. Mm-hmm. Take Devontae Adams uh, with Derek Carr. Like they, they're BFFs back from, you know, their days playing in college, one of the most prolific wide receiver duos. And that was something they actually considered when they brought those two together. The Jalen Waddle tool thing, that's chemistry going back from there. Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. Time. Jamar Chase How many people knocked knock the Jamar like, Chase draft? That's what I'm saying. Like this is now a thing in the NFL. They're starting now to consider – that and you, you know, it's, it's actually I did some research about it in the Raj round today, but it, it, it's crazy how now the NFL finally is is trying to quantify or at least put a value on quarterback wide receiver chemistry, which mm-hmm. is something that we talked about forever and we know that has existed forever. Now the NFL finally wants to start targeting that specifically. 
Very yeah. interesting. It's only smart to be able to do it and to have those yeah. pre-existing relationships just because, like, you know that anything you do with your best friend or whoever you've known your yeah. whole life. Well, Kyler Murray, uh, Hollywood Brown. They yeah, just did, connectivity. They, they did yeah. another one from their time at OU. Oklahoma. Because literally it's like, I know, we know here at Texas just from Jordan Shipley and mm-hmm. Cole, Cole McCoy that, hell, you remember that damn offense. That offense could barely run the mm-hmm. freaking ball. Th- those two guys really were the only threat on the offense. Everybody else, you pretty much could defend sure. one-on-one. You didn't have to defend. And they would double-team, hell, and they would roll coverage and and rotate the safeties all to Jordan Shipley, and it did not matter because the chemistry between Cole McCoy and Jordan Shipley was so finely tuned that they were basically it's a bromance that was materializing on the field. You couldn't stop it because he knew exactly where Jordan Shipley wanted it. Uh, I'm sure they were running option routes. I haven't talked to Jordan about that, but it, it seemed like they were on that kind of connection where they can run option routes like Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison's like, no, 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 no. Wherever his wherever he is, I'll just run the opposite way. We'll just play le- we'll play the leverage game. If he's, if he's outside leverage, yeah. I'll run the inside route. If he's inside leverage, I'll run the outside route. And they could do it that good. And that's what, when you're talking about the apex of wide receiver mm-hmm. quarterback chemistry, that Cole McCoy and Jordan Shipley was it. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. know if that was a better one in history of college football. Derek Carr and Devontae Adams actually was pretty close. They yeah. broke a whole bunch of records, too. But it does matter, and the NFL now is just figuring that out. I'll give you two others at Texas, though, that stand out. And, again, not on that scale, but yeah. you think about those seasons, how it played out. You think about all the practice squad reps and the scout team reps that – I should say scout teams that are practice squad – that Tyrone Swoops and John Harris got in 2013. Oh, yeah. And what happened in yeah. 2014? Swoops is a quarterback. Mm-hmm. John Harris comes from out of nowhere and has a 1,000-yard season. Yep. Uh, and the other one, like, you can look at any of those Texas receivers, the three receivers that are now playing in the National Football League and how pivotal they were to Sam Ellinger's career, being Lil' Jordan Humphrey, Colin Johnson, and Devin DuVernay. But go back to 2018, how comfortable did Sam Ellinger get and how important to his growth was the fact that specifically Lil' Jordan Humphrey for a young quarterback to be able to throw 50-50 balls in traffic and know, hey, I've just got to put it in a certain area, and I know my guy's going to go get it. Good point. That's where DuVernay was. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I think for that, to me, yes, there is chemistry because he likes how easy it is to throw to a big body, a big target, and a guy that has great catch radius. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, but – I, in terms, they didn't have enough time, in my opinion, to like mm-hmm. form that bond. Mm-hmm. That bond that I'm talking about with Cole McCoy, like at least with Lil Jordan Humphrey, you had other threats on the field where teams at late in the year they were trying to rotate coverage and double them. But still had to worry about Colin Johnson. Still had to worry about uh, Devin Duvernay. I was that 2009 Texas offense, guys. Mm-hmm. There wasn't much on that offense. Mm-mm. No, yeah, there I, wasn't. I would argue the wide receiving core for, that Sam had was better than that wide receiving core easily. For sure. <laughs> Once Quan was gone, I mean, yeah, what, I mean, yeah. I think you had, I think you had a, did you did you have a young Marquise Goodwin on that team? No. Yes, as well, a true he freshman. Was, I think you had a young Marquise Goodwin, but still, for the most part, Malcolm I, Williams, Dan Buckner. Yeah, you know what I mean? Marquise Goodwin probably scared me more than anyone just because he can run right past you. But you know, but I'm telling you, it, it, that yeah. man, that group didn't have a lot of threats. It was just mm-hmm. it was it was a Cole McCoy Jordan Shipley show. Welcome. And it's funny you bring up that chemistry thing because the idea with what changed when Cole McCoy's talked about the halftime of that OU game and like he hadn't, hadn't trusted Goodwin yet really truly, but Goodwin had already told him, you know, next time that we'd see that route, I'm going to be open on the slant. And then he threw that slant to Goodwin for a touchdown and really started to form that chemistry. And, you know, when you're talking about that, just across sports, like watching Draymond Green and Steph Curry and the chemistry that those two have, just being able to have a long-term relationship. Like you That's can true. be away from me yeah. forever. 
like you see it, it changes it everywhere, and yeah. it's where it's good to see that coming over to football. You do see that. Now the thing about Sam, Sam, you know, it's just a shame. Sam might have had it more with Colin Johnson because even going back to early that 18th season, remember they started having to wear. And I remember Tom Herman and Tim Beck saying this, like they told Sam, like, look, if you look to the boundary side and he's one on one, don't worry about what we call you. Check it and just throw a fade ball and let him go up and get it. But mm-hmm. that that 19 season. When it should have been Collins' big year, he was dealing with the hamstring most of the year. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good point. That night, yeah. And that's a different offense if he's healthy that year. Mm -hmm. It really is a different offense. And then because by the time 2020 rolled around, none of those receivers, Sam didn't really develop a chemistry with any of those guys. You could tell he didn't really like throwing to any of those guys. Yeah, you could tell he he liked throwing to Lil Jordan Humphrey, like you said. And I think he liked throwing to Conjure. He just liked those big body guys. Mm -hmm. He really did. And and Devin Duvernay, we remember like 60% of – the targets for him were basically long. Those hand-off. were long handoffs, yeah. yeah. Within five yards of the line of scrimmage, and yeah. So, uh, Matt, I want you to go over these snap count numbers, and yeah. it's going to be a wide receiver themed show for whatever time we got left, because um, I want to run down some numbers after the the transfer portal activity. Because I I teased these a while back, and I don't think I ever really got into them, but I want to get into. It. So, Matt, what what were the snap count totals for the receivers last so out year? So, a, a total of eight hundred thirty plays. You had Worthy out there for seven hundred and four of them. And Josh now give me Holmes, give me the total again. Out of eight thirty is the total that's listed for snap counts uh-huh. offensively. Seven thirty to Worthy, four thirty eight Joshua Moore, Washington four thirty four, Whittington two eighty nine, Calvante Dixon at one forty seven, and then Alvante Woodard down at thirty eight. Yeah. And if you look at it, I pulled the quickly while we were talking Alabama twenty nineteen just to see where they aligned with and what they were. And that year, it was pretty similar when you look at the fourth wide receiver being, you know, Waddle was at 269, and he mm-hmm. was a guy that was always sort of the guy that backed them all up. Whittington, via injury, was at 289. And then if you see the top guys, they sort of have the almost the exact same amount of total, but it's a lot more even. You had mm-hmm. Devonta Smith at 573, Judy at 555, and Ruggs at 505 which gives you a total right up around 1633. And when you look at the worthy Moore-Washington group, that's going to be a total of 1576. So you're talking quite similar. It's just obvious that Worthy even had more on his plate, had 131 more snaps than Devontae Smith did in 2019. And it's a way that that usage can funnel, though, if you're able to find those four guys and if you – sort of disperse out like I was talking, if you get a guy like Addison, how consistent those numbers could be across all four. Real quick, go to go to Bama twenty twenty, because that's an offense where you lose not only do you lose uh Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs yeah. to the draft, but you didn't have Jalen Waddle for most of that season. No, that's right. Yeah, you got hurt. So I want to know how basically I would imagine Bama's twenty twenty snap counts are gonna look a lot like Texas in twenty twenty one where you know, Xavier Worthy was on the field yep. for so. 88% of the snaps. I would imagine it's it's the same or more for Devontae Smith that year. Boy, that's Actually, Devontae won the Heisman. And it's out of 703 that year, you had Devontae on for 598, Mechie at 560, and then, yeah, Waddle and Bolden, 216, 206, with Baker at 95. Waddle's hurt. So, yeah, okay. Now that makes sense. Um, but this is how pivotal when we talk about 
the potential to add Jordan Addison. You've already added a Jai Hall. And Sark is responsible for bringing Xavier Worthy into this program. Mm-hmm. And with Brennan Marion, you hope the talent level just exponentially grows at receiver. And I, and I, I tend to think it will, if nothing else, then, like I've, I said before, Tom Herman, I didn't have a problem with him being, you know, having ideas of what he wanted at each position. But at some point, your rigidity with that works against you then it is a benefit of trying to identify guys that maybe this guy's not ranked as high as some other guys in the recruiting ranking, but he does this one thing so well. I like him for this position in my offense. Yeah. We saw our Bryles do that. Uh, you can go go down the list of offenses where certain guys with certain skill sets fit. Yep. But I, I went and looked at this after the recent round of transfers with Marcus Washington, uh, Kelvante Dixon, and Dejon Harrison. Um, Tom Herman – over five recruiting cycles, so 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21, was responsible for recruiting 16 wide receivers in a five-recruiting cycle stretch. Okay. 11 of the 16 transferred out before the end of their eligibility. Seven of those 11 transferred within two or few, played two or fewer seasons at Texas, and three never caught a pass at Texas. Oh. It'd be Brew McCoy, Dejon Harrison, Keith Ron Lee. Never caught a pass at Texas. Um, you had one early entry for the NFL draft. That was Brennan Eagles, oh, who man. went undrafted yeah, and no. the last check was playing in the USFL. Cowboys, huh? Um, Didn't make that practice squad. You've got four that are still on the roster. Jordan Whittington, Troy O'Meary, Jaden Alexis, and Casey Kane. And you have zero NFL draft picks. From Tom Herman recruited wide receivers to date. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that he was a wide receiver himself actually hurt him in his evaluation mm-hmm. of wide receivers. I think he was too close to it, too emotional. Like, how can you look at Jackson Smith and Jigba and think, oh, that kid can't play for us? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I think he was too close to it. He, it's, it was, it, 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 his evaluations and scouting was personal. And it can't, it it shouldn't be personal. Yeah, you gotta be able to separate that. And I think for him, he he wanted. You know, that's why he. You know, it's almost like the Kai Money thing, right? It's like it's, <laughs> you know, that's that that encapsulates you know wide receivers for Tom Herman in a nutshell. Um, because you know he he liked those guys, the scrappy guys that um, you know that he kind of I guess it reminded him of himself. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I guess, but Rod, if I'm if I'm yeah. looking at like he didn't like freaky, he didn't like freaky athleticism and speed at wide receiver, which is crazy. I yeah. guess Devin Duvernay is kind of, but nice. he didn't recruit, he didn't recruit Duvernay. Duvernay. You're right, personal bias. So to say, like, you know, it's weird, like because Sark, uh, you know what Sark likes? It's pretty. He's got a type, speed. You fast, he like you. That's why everybody's like, oh man, why isn't Texas going hard at the Jaden Greenhouse? I'm like, well, I don't know if he. I, I'm sure they're recruiting Jaden Greenhouse. They like him, but they, they said they like him. They don't love him. Because he's not really Sark's type. Sark's type is speed, guys. And Jaden Greenhouse is awesome, but he's not a speed guy. Sark. That is definitely not what he is at all. And I think Sark's like, yeah, we want you, but he ain't going all, he ain't going all gas, no breaks after him because I think he's like, well, yeah, well Sark really fit is, my offense anyway. I'd probably move with I'd probably move in the flex tight end if we had him. <laughs> Sark really almost would. yeah, Sark almost works in reverse of like the old school way of thinking. Like it used to be, Rod, you would look at your receiver room and say, Okay, um, I can't have that many, you know. Five ten to six foot fast guys. I gotta have some size. Sark almost thinks like, hey, the six three, the big body guy. I can maybe have one or two of those guys, yeah. but I gotta have speed everywhere else. Yeah, this is why Al Davis loved Sark. He liked Sark back in the day. 
David that is Lexar. that is true. That is true. Because they, they both fetishized about speed. And, you know, Al Davis famously, I mean, that's oh. all Davis. He's all he cared about. Darius Hayward Bay. We would look over any draft evaluation. It don't matter. What are you running for it? We drafted him in how many, first. How many <laughs> Olympic sprinters like James Jett got contracts with the Raiders? Yeah. But 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 when Al Davis initially had that mindset, he was. He was ahead of everybody in the NFL. And they, and they realized, man, they got the fastest team in the NFL. So, essentially, they changed the landscape because, yes, speed can destroy angles, therefore destroy defenses. All right, all your defensive schematics may not matter when you, you blitz the field with speed. And Sark believes that on the offensive side. He believes that if I can blitz the defense with speed, it'll it'll destroy angles and therefore it'll change the way they have to play us defensively. They'll have to play us softer. Safeties have to back up. And that fits his RPO-based offense where, oh, no, I can just hand it off if they're going to keep the guys out mm-hmm. of the box. But if you're going to constrict – all right, you're going to constrict and restrict the field against Sark, how Oklahoma State tried to do last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sark ideally, ideally didn't do it last year, but ideally he liked to then make you pay by just stretching the field with speed. And most defensive coordinators, they won't put eight guys in a box when you got you know world-class speed all around you. Like Teams really didn't do that against Bama because it's like, no, when Bama's got four first-round wide receivers out there, you're like, well, no, I'm not, I no. can't put eight in the box because I don't have – Four defenders that can be one on one against these guys. Yeah, I, I go back to I've already mentioned it, but I think about how, and I, I know the name is unsavory to talk about, but it's it's a frame of reference. Like you think about the Art Browse Vineyard shoot offense at mm-hmm. Baylor, like that's Good why, point. like Tevin Reese, te- take Tevin Reese for example, mm-hmm. he wouldn't be on that many people's recruiting boards. Nope. But in that offense, a guy that can just just take the top off a of defense yep. vertically, yeah, he can, I, if you're Art Browse, give me give me three or four of those guys. Yep. Specific trait. I just need that one little trait. Yeah, because because there were natural. We know there were natural cheat codes in that offense to where I don't need him to get off the jam. If I've got him in the slot with a two way go, he I I can do whatever I want with him at that point. And then his speed, his speed is more of an asset than his lack of size is a detriment. And those are one of the examples when we talk about coaches putting players in advantageous situations. You can do that when you have certain schemes and understand your skill set of your players, and then you can sort of hide their deficiencies by not putting them in those situations where you're going to get jammed. But if you have a guy that with the two-way go option, you know he's not going to get hit at the line. Well, man, get that speed out there on the field, and it's a way that you can view, have somebody that's sometimes viewed as a you know diminished good or has uh, some type of trait that makes me not want a guy like how we would be talking about like a Herman situation. Then understanding, well, it's okay if you have those things. If we are able to put him in a situation where those aren't magnified and we amplify his strengths, uh, I, the only reason I bring up the recruiter stuff and as, as we wrap it up, the only reason I brought that stuff up is to for a couple things. One, just kind of look at how the receiver position at Texas under Tom Herman. I mean, the guys he had his most success with were guys he didn't recruit, yeah. number one. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and number two, you can just look at the takes as you as you go down the list. It's like it's just so convoluted, and, and the parts sometimes just don't add up, and you're leaving way too much to chance by kind of pigeonholing guys in the role. That's why I said mm-hmm. it's fine if you have that blueprint, but then at some point it becomes a detriment where, okay, if this guy can only do that one thing and circumstances change or you have an injury and you need to shuffle guys around, okay, well, he he can't play on, on the field side because he I, I need my field side receiver to be a really good blocker. And I can't have a 5'10", 150-pound slot receiver out there being a really good run blocker. You, know, it, it, you can box yourself yeah, out. 
you just need to recruit playmakers. And, and I feel exactly. like just Sark, exactly. just Sark, the way he looks at it. it similar, okay, last point I want to make on this, Rod. You mentioned the 2009 Texas offense. I mentioned Tom Herman hurt himself by pigeonholing guys. Texas at that point, you talk about that receiver core not being up to snuff. It was because Texas fell into another trap where, as somebody on that staff put it to me, it was the Lima Swede problem. They got so obsessed uh, trying to find the next Lima Swede that they just looked at their receiver room one day and they're like, wow, we just have a bunch of big guys that can't really run. The next Lima Swede, or were they chasing the next Roy Williams? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was Lima Swede. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, a, but that that's even worse. Coaches. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's just dumb. I'm like, Lima Swede wasn't a freak. Because he was the guy Lima that they Sweet were trying was to just chase. A, a big, good receiver. Don't the shoot freak the mess. Don't shoot the mess. And Lima was trying Williams to replace Roy, the that's number how you know four. That, this damn program was lost. You yeah. were chasing Lima <laughs> instead of even Roy. Don't shoot no, the messenger. Don't just Lima Sweet. I love Lima Sweet. Dude, that's like saying you were chasing the Rod Babers. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, no, no. Chase the Huff Daddy. You chased the Cedric Griffin. Chase the Quint Jabber. The Rod Babers was not the one. On the chase, yeah. but go look, go <laughs> look at the time. The Terrell Brown and the Ahmad Brooks, like no, 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 yep. you had freaks. Because even the at freak. the time, we were looking yeah. at Limus as well. We made a mistake by Limus trying to make the, him replace. They were trying the to board. chase Roy Williams. Yeah, yeah they trying to find the next that was Roy Williams, the first step. and they ended up with Roy Williams Light, which was Limus Sweet. It's like good it was survivable. But, he was okay, but he wasn't no he Roy. Wasn't Roy and that's why I love it. If you're aspiring, this will this will tie everything together. This last comment I'll make. Again, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just that is just funny. I know. Um, this will kind of tie everything together, though. We talk about mm-hmm. Sark recruiting playmakers. You just want playmakers. A guy cannot, man, can I get the ball yes. in your hands from any spot on the field and you're a threat to go score or do something with okay. it? it like go look at the, the best. Minor. Go look at the best receiver. <laughs> go. <laughs> go look at the best. Re- go look at the best receiving cores this program has ever had. And Rod, I think back. Back in your day, I hate, I hate to go. I know you don't like going back to your day often, but I'll go back there. When you think about Roy Williams, Sloan Thomas, and B.J. Johnson, even the guys Daryl Drake recruited, Daryl Drake recruited Jordan Shipley. Daryl Drake initially recruited Quan Cosby. What was Daryl Drake looking for? Daryl Drake was oh, looking for playmakers. playmakers yeah. mm-hmm. Guys that some guys moved the chain, some guys changed the game. Daryl Drake was looking for playmakers. Yep, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. You can have stuff you like, like traits you covet, mm-hmm. but in the end. Guys are baller. Guys are baller. Yeah. Okay, look past that. Yeah. And say what you want about him. Charlie Strong with that 2016 class, even though you were fortunate to get Duvernay with the whole Baylor thing happened the way it did. You were looking for playmakers. Like, what is Lil Jordan Humphrey? Is, it, is he a running back? Is he a receiver? I don't know, but I want him. Mm-hmm. No, he was. He was a playmaker. I don't know what he is, but I know the guy makes things happen when he's got the ball in his hands. And you know what? I will say this. Sark definitely wouldn't recruit a Lil Jordan Humphrey. No. No Because he likes track times. He, he likes certified track times for his wide receivers, too. It's one thing. And that's, that's the thing that's kind of unscouting, period, now at the lower levels. Like, yeah. people like certified track times. Like, yeah, I like to hear about your speed, and it's great. And I'll watch your football speed. But I definitely like when the certified track time, it aligns. He would have taken one of Colin Johnson or Lil Jordan Humphrey. He wouldn't have taken both of them. I don't know if he would have taken either one. I think, I think Colin with the NFL pedigree, the, that might have yeah. been enough to sway him. Man, that that starting offense, they, they ain't built for guys like that. It really no. is. I'm telling you right now, yeah. like, it's not Because you can't think like of that. any it's, guys It's a run-to-daylight philosophy. And Colin Johnson would be great on the, I guess, those long crossers because I guess he can use his body. But he wants – that's why he wants a big arm, a big accurate arm, and he wants speed because he wants to be able to stretch the field vertically and horizontally. 
those guys do it in a different way. Lil LJ would maybe have been a tight end under Sark. He likes speed, man. He does. That's one thing he does actually cover with his wide receivers. I know I've said this like five times, but this is this will kind of get us in the next week. And this goes back to Rod, what you said at the beginning about man, can when you if you're going to turn around, can you find an identity? Can we get a Texas coach? And that, to me, this is a challenge for Sark. Can you figure out what you want to be on offense and just go with it? Like Tom Herman at some point changed. Mm-hmm. Like it, it went from your, 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 your offense is built so heavily around the quarterback run game, and then I would hear stuff like, oh, we just want somebody that can really go fling the football. Well, okay. I mean, you can go recruit like a, I don't know, a, a Spencer Rattler, but that doesn't, that doesn't fit who you are. No, it doesn't. When you're at your best. No. You know, Charlie, we, I don't think Charlie ever figured, out, figured out what he Charlie wanted to be. Out, no. You know, Mac didn't figure it out at the end no. what he wanted to be. No, Sark sort of seems to know what Sark he knows. wants. Sark's got to figure out the defense. And can you Sark's st- got the opposite. I, yeah. I, 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 but, I, but I think that's that's key, though. We know the defense isn't going to be drastically improved. You don't have the personnel to, to, be, to go be a top 20 defense. Can you figure out that identity on offense, harness it, and, and stick with it and truly build on it? Depends if you get Jordan Addison or not. Change your identity. Your your your, your identity your, changes depending on if you get Jordan Addison because right now your identity is Bijan Robinson. That's the identity right now. If you get Jordan Addison, that identity changes. I'm sorry, it does. Because then you would have two top five receivers in the country. In my opinion, it's like cards that trumps your one top five running back. Mm-hmm. So yes, top five running back gonna get his. But I'm telling you, if I got two top five wide receivers. Oh, we're going to slang this thing. Yeah. We're slanging this well, thing. Well, and the fit that, like, some- that, that's my threats. Hell, you know what I mean? So I'm, the, the pick your poison for is, is going to be there. It's going to be the defense's pick your poison, right? Are you going to stop my two top five wide receivers and my upgraded quarterback? Or are you trying to stop my one top five running back? You pick you, which you, one you want. Most people will probably pick, all right, Bijan beat me. <laughs> you might you might have to tell. It might be a conversation between Sark and Jeff Banks and the guys in that tight end room. Look, I know we were planning on running a lot of 12 personnel. I'm an idiot if I don't run more 11 personnel. You get Jordan Addison, man. Yeah, you got to run 11. Hell, I, honestly, I'd expect you to come, come out and break out that red personnel you had with Bama when you had your mm-hmm. four first-round mm-hmm. wide receivers at times, too, because you would have X-Man, Jordan Addison, Jay Witt, and Nayor. Yeah, yeah, and that's and where a, a guy like Nayor not only fitting in, but Marion coming over. Like, I think it goes, you know, unnoticed how Marion, like, he's like the all-time leader in the FBS in yards per reception. Mm-hmm. It was like 31.6. That fit with Sark's offense with the guys that are deep threats, along with Nayor, with a guy that you already saw with Worthy. If you get somebody like Addison, like that verticality, just the explosiveness that this team could have could be crazy. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, that's uh, that's a good stopping point for this week. We'll, I know we've been offensive-centric the last two shows. We'll try to get back to some defense next week because I do have a couple of things that I want to kick around. But uh, that's going to put a lid on this week's edition of the show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 104.9, 101.9 AM 1260, streaming on that Horn app. 
and at hornfm.com where you can get Rod B and Mike Harge each and every weekday on Ball Don't Lie from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. Thanks to Matt. Get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes. Hit that follow button. Get every episode of Longhorn Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. And we will catch you again. On the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.